If you're wondering why we're wearing, wearing red today and the little relic up on the altar, it's uh, tomorrow's the feast to St. Lawrence. And so we're using, going to use the prayers for the Mass for St. Lawrence, but also the, but the readings for the Sunday. And that's a relic the parish has had for some time, I don't know how long, of St. Lawrence, and that's why that's on the altar. Um, I think most of you know the story of St. Lawrence. Um, those who know the story of St. Lawrence, would you raise your hand? Okay. Okay, it's about 50-50, it looks like. Okay. When, when I was growing up here in St. Lawrence, uh, this church had two little side pews, and the side pew over here had a break in the middle of it, and the statue of St. Lawrence was on that. And what that is there is a grill. The story is he was, when he was being grilled to death, he supposedly said, I'm finished on that side, turn me over. So anyway, as a child growing up here and seeing that statue, I would always pray, oh God, don't let me be a martyr. <laughs> I don't think I could take it. I'm afraid I would give in. <laughs> Um, so I'm not, I'm always, I've always felt I didn't have enough courage to be a martyr like St. Lawrence. I mean, talk about a courage. But why was he being a martyr? Um, the Roman emperor had heard that the Christians had a lot of wealth. And so he wanted to, to claim that wealth, to use that wealth for whatever he wanted. And so he arrested the Pope and he was in prison and uh, he was told that Lawrence was the one who had charge of all the wealth of the church. And so he was given three days to collect that wealth. And so he gathered all the poor and homeless people together. And when they came looking for the wealth, they said, well, where, where's the wealth? And he pointed out to all the poor and said, this is the wealth that we have. And they thought he was making fun of them, and they were going to torture him until he finally gave in and showed them where the money was. But that was the wealth of the church. And the people are the wealth of the church. Um, everyone is part of that treasure. Remember, it wasn't too long ago we had that passage, uh, the, the man finds a buried treasure, or a merchant searching for a fine pearl, each one of you is like a fine pearl in the eyes of God. Each one of you are not just a buried treasure, but you are the wealth of all that he has. He was willing to have his son sacrifice his life that he might purchase a people for himself. And that is the price he paid, and that is the value that he has, the value you have for him. The value in the eyes of God was that he was willing to send his son to lay down his life for you. That's the treasure in the eyes of God. And so when Lawrence was pointing that out, um, that has always been the treasure, the wealth of the church. Some of you know that we have the food pantry. Um, it's called the Deacon's Pantry because St. Lawrence was a deacon. Because he was a deacon, we thought that appropriate 
for the pantry to be named in a way after him because the role of the deacon was to look after those who are hungry, look after the widow and the orphan. And so it's just appropriate that in serving those who are hungry, those who often are without, to name it after Lawrence in a way by calling it the deacon pantry. Okay. Anyway, that's why we're wearing red and why the little relic is on the altar this day. In the gospel today, um, Jesus walking on the water and Peter, if that Lord, that is you, tell me to come. And Peter started walking on the water. He was okay as long as his eyes were fixed on Jesus. But then when the waves got his attention and the wind was so strong and blowing and the waves were rocking that boat, then fear set in. And I think so often, how many times do we um, veer from the path we're on out of fear? I believe fear and stupidity are probably the most deepest reasons for most sin. Not all sin. There's malice in some sin, but there's not malice in every sin. Often people do things because they're afraid. Whatever might bring that fear about. Or people do things just because they've never been taught any different. <coughs> um, I don't know if I think I shared this story with you, but a couple came a number of years ago to talk with me. And not too far in the story, it was like, they wanted to get married in the church, but she had been married eight times. I said, I've never had anybody who's been married eight times. And he said, Father, let me explain it to you. <clears throat> that her mother had been married nine times, and then she just quit getting married. So she basically grew up, whenever there was a disagreement, she thought the marriage was over and would walk out. And so that's what she had done. And then when they had gotten married, she started to walk out. He said, where are you going? He said, well, the marriage is over. We, you know, we can't agree on this. We had an argument, so it's over. He said, no, it's not over. Sit down, we're gonna work this out. And she said, I never knew you could do that. <laughs> and so they did work it out. And then she realized it didn't have to be over just because they disagreed. Now, that was her life experience from her mother's way of relating to it. So that's the only example she had to go on. And how often that is present in a lot of different lives. You know, instead of condemning people, sometimes it's good to know, well, what happened here? What went on? How did that come about? And if you hear the story and know that part of the story, it explains an awful lot of things. Um, over the years, I've heard many, many stories and just uh, incredible what some people have worked through, lived through, and endured. And I know I've said several times, I don't think I could ever survive what you managed to make it through. You, to me, it's miraculous that you made it, made it through that time
I wonder if you made it through because the Lord had a hold of your hand. And I know for myself, when I've encountered situations I've never encountered before, I said, Lord, I don't know how to walk across this water, but I know you do. So take me by the hand and lead me to the shore <laughs> because I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to do this. And if there's been any time in my life I've been more lost about being ministering and shepherding people, it's the time we're in now. It has been a very difficult time. You can't, from my perspective, I can't really go visit people because I don't know if I'm asymptomatic. I don't know if they might be asymptomatic. If they are doing well, I don't want to go and inflict something on them and then here later, after your visit, they died of COVID. Um, the hospitals haven't been very open, and even nursing homes, open to see people. Um, we have a prisoner who's going to have a leg amputated, and I wanted to go visit them. Well, we had to give the nursing home a whole week, and then I'll have to go through some tests when I get there to make sure before I can anoint them. Um, there was a lady a few weeks back that called her father was in the hospital, and this is back quite a ways, and um, wanted to know if I would go see him. I said, if you can get permission for me, I'll go. And she called back and said, they won't even let the hospital chaplain go in the room. <laughs> well, if they won't let the hospital chaplain go in the room, I'm sure not going to get in either. They've loosened that up a little bit, but right now we have a prisoner who's out in Parker who well, I can go there and visit through the window from the outside. <laughs> okay, that's, that's the kind of environment I've never ever had to deal with. And so dealing um, in this situation, um, when you say there's nothing new under the sun, maybe it's not but it sure seems new to me. And now, with the idea of leaving St. Lawrence and going over to Alexandria and Anderson, all they can picture is everybody I see is gonna be wearing a mask. <laughs> and all I get to know of the person is this part. <laughs> so if I don't recognize them from their eyes and their, and their forehead, and their hair, I'll have no clue as to who they are. I can identify you that way, but going into three parishes where I don't know the people, I do not know how I'm going to connect with them or relate to them, and it's okay, Lord, you gotta lead me through this. This is a time that maybe all of us, all of us have never faced, because the last time was 1918. That was the Spanish flu, they called it, but it was not really from Spain. When I was in Lafayette, um, someone had told me the cathedral parish has a cemetery, and during the uh, pandemic of 1918, they would take carts to the, to the hospitals, load up bodies on the carts in the middle of the night, take them and dig a mass grave and bury them. The people weren't even identified as to who was being buried. There were so many people dying from it. Um, 
and they really weren't sure where the burials were, the mass graves were. They said, we think they're in that area. That's why we don't put any graves there because we think that's the area for the mass graves during that time. So none of us were living or working in 1918. So uh, I know your dad might have been born then, but, <laughs> uh, but that was what they were faced. So this is truly a very difficult time. And I think all of us, I encourage everyone to do what Peter did in the gospel today. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. And Lord, take me by the hand. Care, take each of us by the hand and lead us during the, through this time that we may all arrive safely through it and be faithful to you whatever comes. But lead and guide us. Let us not try to do this on our own. Let's not try to do it without his presence. But after all, he did promise, I am with you until the end of time. So we are not alone. He is with us. And let's count on his presence. Count on him taking us by the hand and leading all of us through this time. May we arrive safely on the other end of this. But um, God bless you and uh, pray for me. I know we've got one more Sunday left, but pray, pray for me as I try to prepare as well as I can to make the move that's ahead. The thing that gives me the most confidence now are the three priests that are coming in to the Muncie community. They have three young priests. Uh, the one being pastor has been 14 years. The other two are like two and three years out uh, that they've been ordained. But they have the zeal, the enthusiasm, the energy, the vitality. And really, I believe they're holy priests, young and holy, good priests. So I'm confident that those who are coming in that I might step aside are really, really good. And that's what I find most hopeful. Um, I could have said this next Sunday, but remember the story of Moses? He led the people through the desert to the promised land. And then when he got there, it was just across the river. And God said, well, I'm not going to let you lead them in there. That's somebody else's job to do. <laughs> so um, it's a time basically for me to move on. Not that I asked for it, I did not. I asked to stay, but the bishop said it wouldn't be fair if the St. Mary's and St. Francis lost their pastors and St. Lawrence got to keep theirs, so I have to move you. That's literally the conversation that we had. So um, he's my boss. He is my boss. So when I was ordained, I took the vows to obey the bishop and his successor. Bishop Gallagher was the one who ordained me right here. And now his successor is Bishop Doherty. And I promised I would obey his successors. So that's where we are. But I believe, I really believe that you all are getting a genuine, genuinely good and holy group of priests 
that will serve and minister to you well. You're going to have to train them some. They're quite young. So you do have to break them in. I just ask you to be patient with them, but when they need to learn something, let them know. Um, I, sometimes what we want to do is good, but the way we do it isn't helpful. So if they do something that is not helpful, let them know. <laughs> and I'm sure they will, you know, take that advice and learn from it. God bless you all.